0: Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The Therapy Thoughts Podcast is all about breaking down therapy related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So, join me for quick and direct educational episodes and some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together, we are going to break down stigma. We're going to help each other make peace with mind, body, and food. We're going to make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. Hey, hey, welcome to the Therapy Thoughts podcast. I'm so excited for today's guest, Todd Barrett's. He is a certified sex therapist, a licensed individual and couples psychotherapist. He's a podcast host, a writer who specializes in sex and relationships, and is doing such a great job spreading psychoeducation and information on Instagram. I love our conversation. Um, His journey began in therapy when he was 10 years old, and he's devoted his entire life to wellness, learning about challenges that accompany life and how to overcome them. Um, he has deep amounts of empathy and insight that leads to all the healing work that he does. Uh, Todd is super cool. Enjoy this deep, real podcast episode we get to dive into and enjoy, enjoy. Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The Therapy Thoughts Podcast is all about breaking down therapy related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So join me for quick and direct educational episodes and some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together, we are going to break down stigma. We're going to help each other make peace with mind, body, and food. We're going to make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. Odd, welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: We were just talking (laughs) offline about how obsessed I am with you. I love what you're doing in the therapy space. I'm so grateful I get to chat with you. Thank
1: you. I wanted to finally connect with you. We've been Insta friends for a while and now we're still Insta friends, but now we can actually see and interact with each other.
0: Zoom. We're at the Zoom level of our relationship.
1: We're we're escalating. (laughs) Why don't you introduce yourself so folks know who you are, what you do. Yeah. um, My name is Todd Barrett. I'm a sex therapist, relationship therapist, all kinds of therapists. My Instagram is at your yourdiagnonsense. I see individuals and couples for ongoing therapy, not just about sex, but about a, a range of different things. That's my main gig.
0: I'm so grateful for the field of sex therapy. And I think there's still so much stigma and misunderstanding and like weird vibes around that. I'd love to hear you kind of tell me why you went into that? Why you love doing that? Because we, we really need it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that sex is finally getting the, getting the moment it deserves. Sex plays such a big role in all of our lives. It's literally how we're made. And there's just so much stigma and shame and fear around it um, that that creates so many problems for people. But so I first started becoming interested in sex. <laughs> I I've been in therapy with the same therapist since I was very young and he happens to be a sex therapist. I didn't go to him because I was like, I'm 12 and I have sexual issues. Although I did, um, I was gay, but, uh, he's really impacted the way that I see therapy and the role that I see sex playing in therapy. So when I got to grad school to become a therapist, there was like a singular class on sex and sexuality. And I was like, why is that? Why is there no sex talk? What's that, what's that about? Um, so then I just realized that there really wasn't a lot of information about there for most people when it comes to sex. And I was like, okay, I should probably focus more on, on that. And so um, that's what I'm doing. And um, I see people for sexual issues, but it, they're mostly relational issues. And you know, I think people often assume that sex is, you know, about a, a dick and a vagina and, you know. That's it. But sex is really a relational act that brings up a variety of things for people. So I'm not just talking about clits and orgasms and dicks and cum. Um, you know, most of what I talk about with my clients is their relationships and their history and how they learned how to love and all that kind of stuff and how that relates to sex and sexuality. So long story short, it's important. It's about more than sex. That's, that's what I do. My I do. <laughs>
0: started therapy young. Yeah. You're gay. You're doing your therapist is a sex therapist. You go into sex therapy. I'm curious about like, do you want to talk about your own like sexual development or history and how that led to your interest in this? Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, growing up gay in a world that's straight, it was hard. And so I don't know how much that relates to me being a sex therapist, but in terms of my own sexual journey, you know, being able to have a space in therapy where I could talk about that, you know, I don't know where I would have been if I couldn't just because making sense of what it meant to be gay, also the sexual component, but also understanding that there's a big relational component. Cause when I was growing up, gay was just about gay sex. Um, it really wasn't about gay love or gay marriage or gay families or anything. It was about dicks and HIV and crystal meth and And it was even worse for prior generations. So it it was um, really helpful for me to have my therapist talk to me about relationships and love also sex. But, you know, even with that outlet, I still had a lot of sexual issues because when I was growing up, I, I was also, I really, really struggled. So I was on a lot of medication and the medication really made it hard for me to come or get hard or function. So we had to talk about it. So again, I mean, I was so thankful for that.
0: I mean, that's a whole discussion that I think a lot of our clients and people deal with is we're taking SSRIs, we're taking antidepressants or different medications and it kills our libido, it affects our sex life. And I'm curious if you have insight into that of like balancing mental health medication and sexuality, do we have to lose our libido and our sex drive to stop having panic attacks, right?
1: I mean, I would probably want less panic attacks. It really depends on the person, you know, and it depends on how intense the side effects are. Some people have tons of side effects, and some people just don't have any. And that's the thing about medication is that we don't know as much as people I think think we do, which is fine. But I took medication for a very long time. I now I just take trazodone for sleep, but I really needed it. And for me, I just learned how to deal with some of the. Um, the, the sexual side effects that I had, but that was me. Everybody's really different. I think the challenge is though, is there's not a lot of space for people to say, I'm having sexual side effects. And oftentimes doctors and therapists aren't asking, You know, how is this affecting your desire? How is this affect? Are you getting hard? Are you getting wet? Does it take longer for you to get off? So people aren't often given the opportunity to prioritize their sexuality. And so they kind of learn that it's not important. And so then it's just a, something that never gets addressed. So the most important part is just addressing it. So talking about, okay, so what's going on? Are you having panic attacks? If so, I would say take whatever you can to reduce those panic attacks. Because any have you ever had a panic attack?
0: Yeah, I've had I
1: mean, They're off. I mean, they're literally feel like you're dying. They're the worst thing in the world. So like reduce those panic attacks and then we can talk about sex. So it really becomes about what the priority is. Um, if you're mildly depressed, I would say let's find the medication that has the least sexual side effects, but it really just depends on every individual and the impacts that their mental health has on their functioning and what they prefer and 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 um, yeah. It's so
0: interesting. I've been on Zoloft on and on since two thousand and eight when I got diagnosed. Good Zoloft, <laughs> Zoloft, y'all. And there's Great. definitely been times where it's like it kills my sex drive. I have zero interest. But now I'm in my late thirties, aka my sexual prime, and Zero impact. So I think that's really interesting about circumstance or deconstruction that we have around our own sexuality, plus the biological impact of meds. Like you said, there's no hard fast rule. It really depends, and even the same person could transform.
1: Yeah, is something different for you relationally um, or interest in your life in I mean, I would imagine if you. When did you say 2008? So that's I can't do math. That's how many many years ago? That's that 20, long. 13 years ago. So I mean, and you're married with kids now and in a much different place, right? Because I stopped. Yeah. So like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not just medication. Sometimes when we're taking medication, it's because our life has a context that's making us depressed or contributing to our anxiety. So it's, you know, it's hard to say it's, if it's just meds or not, but it's really interesting now that, and really awesome that you don't have any side effects anymore. Was there a different context though? Like, I mean, I just made huge assumptions about your life. No,
0: you're, you nailed it. And I love that you get to kind of flex that knowledge as we have this conversation. Cause I'm like, exactly. Quick backstory for me. I was raised Mormon in an extremely sexually oppressed family. No sex till you're married. Don't, don't touch bodies. Like I got grounded because I kissed a boy when I was 14 and like, it was a really big deal. Um, My sister came home pregnant when I was seven and I was mortified and my parents were mortified and it was like, this is the worst thing in the world. So I was like, sex is bad. Never have sex definitely don't, don't get pregnant. Like people are going to hell. So I had to deconstruct all of that of like, honestly learning like sex isn't bad.
1: Right. Well, you're talking about sexual fear, Mm. right? Like you got grounded, you got punished. And depending on geography and religion and all that stuff, you know, you really internalize that. So were you saying that like you, you did actually just say you had to unlearn all that fear.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Like even something like I'm going to wear a shirt that shows some cleavage on Instagram is like such a big risk or like an exposure activity for me Mm -hmm. or like I'm a sexual being. I'm sexual saying that is like, Oh my God. Like, am I going to catch on fire? It's I'm really deconstructing that. And it's probably why I'm so drawn to your content because what you teach Really empowers me and educates me and helps me reclaim what I think is my right to be like a sexual being.
1: Yeah. And to experience your body and derive a sense of pleasure and power from it. Um, Isn't it interesting, though? Like, even though we're all grown up, we're therapists, we can reflect on our past and understand that the sexual fear that we learned is, you know, really just a product of culture and religion and not fact, that we still default to these places where we're like, oh my God, this is bad. And they're like, no, no, it's fine. Cause I still have that experience. Yeah, I've been in therapy slash sex therapy for fucking ever. And sometimes I still like have experiences where I'm like, just open your mouth and speak and say something like, what are you, what are you waiting for? Um, I just find that so interesting that, you know, it, that's how powerful some of these early messages about sex can be. Mm. Right? You're saying you're still having these, these things still come up.
0: Yeah. It's, it feels like my life is a constant deconstruction of all the like, really toxic, oppressive things I learned uh-huh. as a kid And when you just labeled it, you said sexual fear. I'm like, I've never even thought that label. So educate me and anyone listening who's truly like still trying to find just basic sexual power. Like what are common sexual fears? Like how do we identify those and fucking deconstruct them?
1: Well, sexual, I mean, sexual fear is kind of a big umbrella for kind of everything for shame or maybe shame and fear is a little bit different, but. So, sexual fear is as you're describing. So, you grow up learning that you will get punished or that it's bad or that you're going to hell or that you just shouldn't or that you should do it in private or you shouldn't tell anyone. All of those messages, you know, the implicit communication is sex is something to fear. And what's an extension of that as well is we internalize that our bodies are something to fear. So, our genitals, the way we experience pleasure sometimes. Um, and sometimes this even extends into non-sexual arenas, just like non-sexual pleasures, fun, joy, where people have a really difficult time eating, food is pleasure, you know, where it's just about, it can become about literally everything bodily that feels pleasurable or good. But so anyway, so that's, that's basically sexual fear. And it can also come up unconsciously, which it does for most people through avoidance or through not wanting to ask for things. And that's, I think when we we're talking also about sexual shame. You know where what we want what we need for pleasure what we need to get off etc we feel is bad we shouldn't ask for it and then you start factoring in gender and sexuality and um, it just becomes worse and worse <laughs> now uh, it just becomes harder and harder because women receive a lot of different messages than men trans women receive a lot of different messages um and cis women get blah 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 um, so you know, I think everybody grows up with sexual fear. I don't think anyone is immune from that because we live in this sexually fear-based culture even now, but, uh, that's why everybody has to do some kind of work Mm -hmm. if they're going to not have sexual fear.
0: I don't know if this will put you on the spot, but I'm, Curious about like
1: thought. I love I love being put on this spot
0: Where like the culture we live in, other than like my brain's like, oh, it's Puritan religious culture. Like, why are we so fucked up with sex? Like, why is sex bad? Why are we so afraid of it? Why do all of us have sexual fear and or trauma? Like, what's this culture about?
1: It's historical. Um, you know, it goes back centuries, and it's changed. And you know, sex is you know the way that cultures view sex. You know, you can really get a lot of information about who they are politically, um, their histories, etc. But it, it's, it's historical that sex was just supposed to be for procreation. It wasn't supposed to be for pleasure. You know, women were thought not to experience orgasm or pleasure at all. So, you know, these values and ideas of sex have really changed. Um, but that doesn't mean that the way that they're completely lacking of this fear-based, um, approach or value system. Cause it's still there, even with all the sex positive content.
0: As someone who's like actively and intentionally trying to deconstruct my own sexual shame and fears. What, like, how would you lead a client through that? Like, how do we start to deconstruct this and get empowered? Like you said, awareness, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then like, what else do we do? It seems so deep and it's so culturally reinforced.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of ongoing work, but this is the other reason why I do like sex, uh, working with sex is because, you know, some things like depression or some traumas, you know, it just takes, it's just ongoing, but sex, you know, is something that you can actually, when you put in some work, you can actually make some big changes. Um, sometimes that people just need permission to, you know, I don't know get their nipples twisted and say, that's okay.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, it's real that uh, people are, Oh, I'm such a freak. I just like this thing. And I'm like, no, it's totally normal. Like that sounds wonderful. It's great. Do that. And obviously it's never that simple. But so the first place that I usually start is just being curious and aware and, and curious to help my clients develop awareness So I'll either do one of two things. I'll start with some kind of a sexual history just to kind of get them to start talking about, you know, where they learned about sex and their body, or I'll ask about the last time they had sex and I'll say, I'm a fly in the wall. You know, what would I see? And both strategies, for lack of a better word, make people feel incredibly uncomfortable. So that's also an opportunity to say, okay, well, so I can see that you're turning red or that you're answering me and with non-answers or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You're a therapist. You know what I'm saying? But so, yeah, I mean, I just start with helping um, build awareness. So the first one, in terms of sexual history, I'll ask about, you know, where did you learn about your body? Were your parents sexual? Did they touch each other? Did they cover your eyes if you were watching something remotely sexual on TV? You know, were you allowed to date? What was religion like? You know, go through absolutely the whole thing. Because most people don't really think about that. Um, They just think about last week, some guy, like they wanted the blah, blah, blah. But It's about so much more. So we talk about that. We talk about, as I was saying, non-sexual pleasures. I ask about, you know, what was playtime like? Did your parents encourage you to play? Did they encourage you to eat? Did they restrict your diet? Did they tell you you were fat? You know, did they tell you you were too thin? You know, how did they talk about your body? You know, there's so much. I ask about genitals. What was learning how to pee like? Did you ever touch yourself? Ask about masturbation and blah. So a lot of, a lot of awareness building about where did you learn about sex? And so for every person, it may be different. In terms of how much time I focus on that. But so there's that component. Um, And then there's the action-oriented component, which is the best. So that's homework, like touch yourself, masturbate, go in the shower and feel the water on your clit or in your dick or in your asshole or wherever. Go to a toy shop, buy a toy. So, and this goes really for anything any mental health challenge, as I'm sure you know, is that we can't just think about it and build history and insight and analyze. It's just, that's not enough. We have to actually have new experiences. Um, So especially with sex, the challenge often is though, is some people have so much sexual fear and shame that they can't bring themselves to have new experiences sexually. And if that's the case, then no change can happen because you know if you're afraid of sex and you won't have sex and you're avoiding it, that unconscious expression of shame, which is avoidance, it gets in the way of you making changes and feeling empowered to receive and give pleasure. So the action part of sex therapy is super important and it can be, you know, a five second homework exercise to, you know, have sex with your partner. And it just depends on the person and how freaked out they are. Yeah. People get freaked out and upset and scared and triggered and, and, and so it can be really hard. Like, I'm sure when you started this journey for yourself, it was probably difficult. You probably had to go very slow. Terrifying. Yeah.
0: I have a lot of compassion for like anyone listening who's like, this is wild. Like, I can't do this. I'm so scared. And I love, I love listening to people who are in their zone of genius. You're clearly in your zone of genius. Cause you're calling out all of that, like nuance, and the struggle of like, They're not going to be able to do the work that will create change if there's too much shame there, which leads to avoidance. And that shame piece is just part of this, that ongoing deconstruction of sexual shame. And when we are hardwired to avoid it because we're going to go to hell, if we stick our finger in our vagina, like it's you just have to do it and overcome that fear. But I'm really curious about that step from you just have to do it to overcome it. But I'm so afraid to do it because I'll go to hell. Like, how do we help people get to? try the thing that's going to heal you.
1: Well, like I was saying, um, you know, if putting your, your finger in your vulva is too scary, then it could be, well, so massage your your vulva or just massage your stomach or massage your legs mm. or, 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 you know, what would feel less triggering and upsetting? Maybe just touch your arm. I mean, I know that might sound silly, but it's really about these small steps. Yeah. You know, it's not a rush. So it's... I really work and try to identify, well, what would feel comfortable?
0: Mm.
1: How could you tolerate this kind of reflex of I'm going to hell uh, while also experimenting with behaviors that may show you otherwise? Mm. But um, that's not to say that I'm also not processing that I'm going to go to hell part a lot.
0: Yeah. But like this <laughs> and end.
1: you're not going to hell. <laughs>
0: I mean, honestly, it's where I want to be. Like I would fit in there. Like I know, probably. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about this client I actually had yesterday. Female married to a male, has never orgasmed once in her life. And
1: which is popular, pretty common.
0: Really common, right? I I don't remember the stat. Maybe you remember it like what percentage of females don't orgasm during intercourse. It's like eighty plus percent, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, just, just for penetration? Yeah, it's the oh, majority,
0: right? And I'm like so, so by herself. Never has she tried. Yeah, and I'm like trying to coach her, but the shame piece—it's like trying to deconstruct that, or like, what if my vulva stinks? This is bad. This is gross. I don't want to like do this. Like all these internalized messages of like sexual shame. And trying to, like, empower women to have, like, sexual expression and power feels really ironic for me to be doing, first of all, but also, like, heartbreaking. Why ironic? Well, just right, like, where I come from, it's like...
1: Well, maybe you're the perfect person to be helping her with that, though. I love you. But
0: I, I think that's true. That's actually a really good point. But yeah, trying to walk with people through this and give them the courage to, like, tell their partner what they need. You brought that up first thing, like have that permission. You're allowed to ask for more or say we need more foreplay, or I need you to go down on me and the fears they have around that. Like I'm, I'm out of my league. So I'm not a sex therapist, but I mean, that's the work I see constantly just trying to empower women with mind, body, and food. Sex is a piece of this. So I love that you tie in the whole like body piece and it's all connected. Shame, shame, shame.
1: Yeah. It's all related. I would probably tell her to to focus less on having an orgasm with her partner and to try to focus more on being with herself. But there's so much there. I mean, especially for women, for cis women and men, the male pleasure is so prioritized. And most women grow up learning that male pleasure is central and priority, and therefore their pleasure is irrelevant. And so in that space, it's not, it's not arousing, um, unless that's something you're deeply interested in erotically, which, you know, for some it is. But you know, not being able to have permission to have pleasure isn't something that's arousing. And so if you're not aroused, you're not going to get off. And you can even be wet or hard and not aroused. You can have a responsive kind of arousal in your body, but actually not really be aroused. I would imagine that's probably what's going on for her. Uh, but what also happens for a lot of women um, is there's this kind of sexual routine for heterosexual sex between cis men and women where it's, you know, dick and vagina and some kind of a jackhammering motion and That's it. But most women need a lot of clitoral stimulation. Some women can't even reach orgasm through penetration. Most, as you were saying, sometimes toys are really necessary, sometimes hands, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. So um, it's really about finding what works for her and then integrating that into her partnered sexual experiences. Because she doesn't sound like she knows what, what, what works for her.
0: You're so good. This is so powerful. Even you saying focus less on the orgasm with your partner and focus on connection to self. Yeah. Right. Like there, there's then that piece of is sex only sex if you orgasm? Absolutely not. But also you really deserve to orgasm at some point in your life. (laughs) So I mean, fostering that connection to self, is that just simply exploring and having permission and like being alone, touching your body?
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing is what it means to let go because in order to orgasm, we really kind of have to relax and let go. And uh, that can be really hard, especially for people with high anxiety and with the sexual fear, which everyone has. Um, So, yeah, really just practicing letting go, even if that's not through with sex, but just having more experiences of cultivating a sense of relaxation, bodily relaxation, so massage or yoga or whatever. Is really important, so mindfulness stuff. Which I'm usually not that take deep breaths therapist, but when it comes to sex, um, it's really important to do so if you want to connect with your body.
0: Yeah, need these notes.
1: I need oh my goodness. Piece. Look at you!
0: You have like a million Instagram banger quotes
1: on this interview, <laughs> by the way. Sending that after, so yeah. I
0: will. I'll screenshot this. There's you
1: have a,
0: a I mean, it's your zone of genius. You just understand it deeply it's really easy for you to talk about and you know when you're like really good at something you know something and then there's a novice where i'm like focus less on the orgasm and focus on connection to self like epiphany do you see that a lot like is this a common experience when you're sitting across people who have sexual shame and fear like we're like oh god okay 101 like i'm a like basic shit is this normal
1: Well, that's what I was saying about how some that's why I like sex therapies, because most people don't get this information. And so when they hear it, they're like, oh, like, it's okay that like I need a a vibrator while I'm getting fucked or it's okay if I tell my partner to, I don't know, bark like a dog. If that's what I need, like, that's totally fine. I just have to start, you know, that some of this information is really just permission to be yourself. It's normalizing sexual expression or sexual joy or whatever. And that's can be really powerful for people.
0: Can we talk about polyamory? Sure. I honestly learned, I mean, I learned about polyamory on Instagram. I'm curious about that. I've I've learned terminology like toxic monogamy, non-consensual monogamy. And I think this is new information for a lot of people. Like you said, we just have this very straight, cis gender, like idea of sex, like you said, man, woman, penis, vagina, jackhammer, and sexuality is so expansive. And I wonder how many of us might identify outside of this really rigid, you know, culture that's been like
1: indoctrinated into us.
0: Can you give us some education on like other things other than monogamy?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I've posted a lot about this kind of umbrella term of toxic monogamy, and it's this kind of default state that. I think most people just go to without realizing it. And I do too, you know, where this compulsory monogamy where we just kind of default to these values and rules because we live in cultures that value monogamy and traditional family structures. And, but that's not how everybody loves or has sex or does intimacy. You know, there are a variety of different structures. You know, there's monogamy, non-monogamy, there's polyamory. And one is not better than the other, despite I think what we've all grown up learning that you know the right way is to um, get married and to be faithful and loyal forever and have kids and farm a family and et cetera, um, which is wonderful. like. I kind of want that. I'm not, and I think it's what's funny is whenever I post something or talk about non-monogamy or polyamory, <laughs> people assume that I'm like the sexual heathen that just wants to fuck everybody. And that's against monogamy and marriage and families. And the reality is I like my last relationship was 10 years. We were monogamous. I'm not opposed to non-monogamous relationships or polyamorous relationships. And but it just did that. We explored non-monogamy for a little bit. Um, then we decided to close the relationship. In the future, as I'm miserably single and dating, I'm open to any structure. You know, I kind of just want to meet somebody and fall in love again. I don't really care. But uh, yeah, I, I just to put that out there, I think it, it, it's interesting the assumptions that people make about others when they start talking about monogamy. And what's also more interesting is if I was a woman, a cis woman, and I was talking about non-monogamy, I would probably get a lot of backlash because people don't like women who are sexual. People don't like women who discourage traditional family structures. Et cetera, et cetera. I have friends that do a lot of work writing research, et cetera, on female sexuality and non monogamy. And the, the treatment they get is just outrageous. And it's because they're a woman. Whereas I could say these things and people just think, oh, it's another man saying that we should have sex with everybody, which is not even what I'm saying. But anyway, I got on it, I went on a tangent. But so it's just, it's important to think about this, not because people should have non monogamous relationships, but because these are the values that really inform all relationships that are romantic, sexual, or intimate in one way or another. Um, one big thing that I that comes up a lot is the idea of fantasy, which is something for you to talk about with your client um, in terms of what her fantasies are and how she explores that but that I say often it's okay to fantasize about other people, you know, that that's a part of monogamy where fidelity extends to thoughts. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is just mind blowing. Like I, where sexual fantasy is given a completely different category from non-sexual fantasy. You know, like I have a fantasy that I'll go to Bora Bora. That's the same thing as saying, I have a fantasy that I want someone to watch me have sex. It's Mm -hmm. no different. Mm -hmm. Is that going to happen? I don't know. I mean, I really hope I go to Bora Bora. But, you know, it's, it's the same kind of dreaming. But people have so much sexual fear that these fantasies and these values around monogamy kind of take over. So that's one thing that I talk about often that, you know, we can really learn from polyamory and non-monogamy when it comes to exploring monogamous relationships and the values that we reflexively just go to. Like, don't want my partner thinking about anybody else, my partner checking out anybody else et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That type of fear really is what it is in um, relational anxiety about um, fidelity.
0: This is so good. I love the acknowledgement of values and how we have these like default assumed values because of culture. Yeah. But really there are a variety of structures. And if we're not in line with our real individual values and we're trying to fit in this structure, that seems like a recipe for anxiety, sexual issues, mental health problems, like just disconnection from self. But I'm also hearing it's a really big risk to be honest about these values. If you want to explore outside of monogamy, like you said, particularly women, it can be dangerous to be living in your truth this way.
1: Yeah. When it comes to sex and relationships, gender plays a really big role, gender and sexuality. But you know what I think the most important thing is that people in relationships and just in general need to talk about this more with their partners, that this kind of monogamy is just assumed. And we're not saying that you shouldn't assume it, but I'm just saying, talk about it and assume it because one, it'll improve your sex life for sure. If you start making the relationship culture safe enough to say, you know, it's okay if you fantasize about other people, or if you talk about that. And you know, the more you can address some of these these values um, as opposed to defaulting them, defaulting to them. I think the safer the relationship becomes and the safer the relationship, the more satisfying, the more you can relax and do the sex.
0: Oh my God. It's all connected. Make relationship culture safe. Yes. I follow someone. I, I keep thinking of them because I can't think of their name or their handle. They're in a poly relationship. And they said, I just saw this video yesterday. They're like, anyone who's ever cheated might be a little bit poly. And I'm like pausing and thinking about that. And they're like, it's, it's a lack of language. If people could talk about the values, just like you're talking about, if we could communicate this or say, I'm having these fantasies or desires or my curiosities. But we don't even have like the language or the permission or like the ability to think outside of this really like rigid structure we're all part of. I don't I don't have an opinion. I don't know if I agree or not. Maybe you can share on that. But I think that's interesting. If we can talk about this, explore these values, that's going to help the relationship culture, whatever structure it is.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't even know if I agree with that, but (laughs) I mean, they might be poly. I don't know. Is You know, affairs, infidelity, cheating, whatever words you want to use can be about a ton of different things. But so, you know, for some people, monogamy doesn't work. I see couples where there's just there's a lot of infidelity and and like, well, have you ever thought about non-monogamy? And some people are just so against non-monogamy that uh, that's not something that they would consider. And other people are like, you know, actually might as well if you're going to have affairs or if I want to see other people or whatever. So it's a real opportunity to, to throw out some of these rules and to really co-create, construct a relationship from scratch, you know, as, as exactly what um, feels best and most congruent with what it is that you desire.
0: You're so good at what you do. I think yeah. the people who get to work with you are really lucky. There's plenty of therapists out there who are not qualified to do the work you clearly This is your zone of genius. You know a lot about this deeply, the ins and outs, the nuance. I respect the hell out of you.
1: Thanks. My zone of genius. (laughs) You keep saying that. I'm like, Emma. is this my zone of genius?
0: (laughs) Yes, it is. I mean, sorry, that's like, that's entrepreneur talk. That's like the business piece of me. Like find your zone of genius and learn to like scale and create products out of that. And I'm like, you, this is your jam. Like, it's so in depth and so enriching. And I'm learning a ton just talking to you for like 40 minutes. I would love for you to share how people can learn more from you because what you teach is, is crucial. Like we need more of you.
1: Yeah. Uh, you can go to my website, which I should make a different URL because it's my name and it has to be spelled out. Um, or you can go to my Instagram and there's a link to all of the things that I offer. I have online courses about sex and relationships. I'm not taking any more clients, um, but if you want to work with me, I do, I would see you monthly on these courses or programs, um, and you can follow me on Instagram at your diagnosis.
0: Yeah. I'll link all of that in like our show notes. So it's easy for folks to find you. You have a couple memberships and that's where they can do like a webinar with you once a month. Right.
1: But yeah. so it's a course, which is like a self-directed e-course. It's full of all this information. And then there's a workbook to help you practice it. So like I was saying, the awareness component with the action component. Um, And then there are monthly um, Zoom sessions with me um, and everybody else that's taking it. Um, And we just kind of, people ask questions. They say what they're going through or dealing with. And we kind of have like, it's like group therapy. Oh, It's pretty cool.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I've learned a ton. Everyone follow Todd. I will tag everything in the show notes. And... Let's just have so everyone just like masturbate and express uh, it
1: for as long as you want and as much as you want.
0: Yeah. Make merch that says masturbate more.
1: I should, I should start. I need to make merch. You, every time I see yours, I'm like, oh, I should do that. You're we'll, talk off,
0: we'll talk offline and I'll, I'll give you some merch. Okay. merch tips,
1: <laughs> please. I need.
0: Okay. Thank you. Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The Therapy Thoughts Podcast is all about breaking down therapy-related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So join me for quick and direct educational episodes and some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together, we are going to break down stigma. We're going to help each other make peace with mind, body, and food. We're going to make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. Thanks for listening to the Therapy Thoughts podcast. But remember, this podcast is not therapy. This is for general informational purposes only. The information on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. This also isn't intended to be financial, legal, medical, or therapeutic advice. Make sure you're always working with your own personal, licensed mental health counselor. May you be well. Thanks for listening to the Therapy Thoughts podcast, but remember, this podcast is not therapy. This is for general informational purposes only. The information on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. This also isn't intended to be financial, legal, medical, or therapeutic advice. Make sure you're always working with your own personal, licensed mental health counselor. May you be well.